I'm always glad to see everyone. And today is a special day, the Sabbath, when we can worship together. You know, every time we think of others and we have prayer for others, we are giving God the glory, the honor, and the praise. And this is what Jesus does for us. This is what he's doing now. And he will not stop praying for all of us until he comes again. Do any of you have any prayer requests uh, for our family, friends, and loved ones? Any requests? Mary Angeli? Did I see your hand, Dan? Yes, I did. Any other requests? I do have um, silent requests as well. And I do believe that God reads our hearts and he knows our thoughts and he knows when we are thinking of others and whatever it is we're thinking of others, those are included as our silent request. I like to begin the prayer and before the prayer, uh, claim a promise in the Bible. And the Apostle John, John the Beloved, he writes in his book that he uh, wrote, um, John 14, 12, 13, and 14, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus always went to his Father for advice and just to ask him what he should do. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. If Jesus gives 
God glory, so should we. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Think of that. The God of the universe, the creator, our savior, almighty father, will do what we ask if we ask in his name and for his glory. Now I want to invite all of you to kneel. I'm going to have problems kneeling, so I think I'll stay where I am. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning, on the special Sabbath day that you have given us, the true day of worship, we come to you with requests for healing or for praise, to praise your name. We have the silent and the unspoken requests of Mary Angeli and Dan, and I believe that many more of you have a silent request as well. Oh Lord, we are here to praise your name. We thank you so much for the freedom to worship in our church. Lord, we know that you are with us because we've asked for your presence today. Lord, I pray for um, a change of heart in all of your people to share you with others, to share the gospel, and to help us to always trust in you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we pray that you will lead us to higher ground. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Incline thine ear to us and grant us thy peace. Before I go into the offering appeal, I want to make an apology to Bonnie. I didn't ask you for all your educational background, your knowledge, your experience, so I could share it with everybody up here. So when you come up here, will you let us all know your wisdom and where you learned it all from? Okay. How many of us ate this week? I did. How many of us drove on the road this week? I did. How many of us may have paid a utility bill this week? I did. You know, this church still has utility bills, don't we? Like you do, we do. Um, we have electricity like you guys have at home. We also have natural gas. Maybe you have that at home. We have church insurance and everything else under the sun. Uh, 
Yeah, we got property taxes. I think we, I just paid that last year. Um, so your church needs your financial support. So as you can give, as God has blessed you, we ask you to bless your church. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this church on the hill that you're blessing us. You bless us with a beautiful location closer to you and with the beauty of the mountains and the trees. Lord, we ask you to bless the offerings that is received today to your honor and glory. I say so in your name. Amen. To help with social distancing, we do have a plate down here. Uh, feel free to come up here and leave your offering. We don't have a, a deacon that, that takes a plate everywhere. I thought I had something else to tell you guys. Alicia, what? I see you pointing, but I don't understand. I still don't hear you, Lisa. Oh, well, I can, I can handle that. I will handle that. I'll take the plate out there for her. Oh, she needs the offering plate. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And Mr. Stephen, you're next. The, the scripture this morning is... Uh, it, 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 Ecclesiastes 6, uh, 1, 2, and 3. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor, at which he tolls under the sun? Good morning, Crestline Church. <laughs> oh, I did not know we would be voted in today. That's very exciting. And um, um, the members know, and I'll share, that we, we moved up here a couple of years ago, and we've been attending this little church regularly for many, many years on vacation time when we would come to the mountain. And we finally decided to buy a home here, and, and we'll retire here. And so I'm uh, just delighted that uh, we are now members, and that was always our plan, but I can tell you that COVID shut down Ontario Church, which was our home church for 20 years, and that made a little Im uh, impression on us to <laughs> go where, where it's opened, and we have been so happy to be able to worship here um, when at least our Ontario family, we're not worshiping. And Zoom is not the same. We, um, we've attended several Zoom messages and we see free ABN and those things. But I think to get together in church and kneel together is important for my uh, soul anyway. And so I'm, I hope it is for you, you understand where I'm coming from. <laughs> We are about at the first anniversary since COVID-19 took over the world. And I do not take this for granted that it was, it's a serious sickness that many people have died and that there 
needed to be improvements. I have seen some improvements that I like. Um, I think people need to wash their hands more often. I, I, in my work, I meet the public and I do lots of handshaking. Did not, do not now, you know, but handshaking. And I would always be very aware of that hand. And as soon as I could, I would go wash because you don't know what the other person's been doing. And so some of those things, I think it's gotten us some new habits, some better habits. Hate the mask, have to wear it all day, even in my office. But if it makes someone else more comfortable that I'm wearing it, then I will, and I do. Um, with all the seriousness of COVID-19, Set that aside. It seems to me like we have wasted a year. The real question is what did we do with our time during this year? Some redecorated their homes. I met with a roofer the other day and he said, All of the, a lot of people are refinancing and we're getting a lot of business. And so his his business had improved where you know so many businesses have closed. Some have spent the year trying to help their children cope with distance learning. Our Adventist school is doing, had been doing distance learning and they, they struggle. I have friends there with their children and they, they just struggle and the kids are only getting a little bit of time a day instead of a full day of, of teaching. Some have tried to learn a new language or a musical instrument because they had to be away and and if you're home with your family, maybe that's a good thing. They had time together, and they tried to learn something new. TikTok brought new dance routines to us all through home videos with lots of time to practice. I enjoyed some of those. I watch them, and you think, wow, they're so perfect. Well, they've been practicing for two weeks. I like to watch a certain news show on Sunday morning, and last week the lead story was this. President Trump was acquitted. They knew they didn't have the votes from the beginning, and the whole impeachment process was a waste of time. The commodity of time is precious. It's limited, and what's passed cannot be regained. How you spend your time, or to phrase it differently, how you spend your life is what we will consider today. The book of Ecclesiastics was written by the teacher, son of David of, of Jerusalem, king of Jerusalem. As we read further in the book, it's revealed that King Solomon is the teacher who wrote the book. And so I'm going to read Ecclesiastics 1, 12, and 13. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. Chapter 2, 3 to 11. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. 
I built houses and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit groves of flourishing trees. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a full harem. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. When I read this, I think this sounds like a man in a midlife crisis. He's certainly the richest man in the world and has many great accomplishments, yet they mean nothing to him. He's looking for something else. So I looked up, what is midlife crisis? It's a conflict between a person's perception of themselves and what they think they want to be. We all reach a certain age and may go through a midlife crisis. I'm not admitting anything I don't remember. But what we do see a lot is older men wanting that sports car they didn't get when they were 17, right? Something completely impractical that they want. Um, dating maybe ditching wife for younger woman or woman, older woman dating younger men. That happens now more than maybe it used to. This usually happens between the ages of 45 and 60, but can manifest earlier in life. Solomon had 700 wives. He was very permissive with them all. They were from nations the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with because surely they will turn your hearts away from, their, away from God to their gods. And that is exactly what happened. The wives were allowed to build altars and idols to worship false gods. Solomon started out right listening to the counsel of his father David, but over time Solomon forgot his own counsel and the wisdom of scripture. I think that was the beginning of his midlife crisis. First Kings 14, I mean 11.4 says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. First Kings 11.7 says, to please his wives, Solomon even got involved in sacrificing to their gods. How far he moved away. God showed mercy to Solomon for David's sake, but Solomon's kingdom was eventually divided. God did not force him to do what was right. Father God laid out his will, blessed Solomon with wisdom, and expected the king to obey. In his later years, Solomon chose to disobey 
and he was ac held accountable for those decisions. History records that Solomon lived to be about 80 years old and died of natural causes. When a king dies of natural causes, that means he was not murdered in a great takeover or he was not killed in battle. Solomon lived and aged and maybe succumbed to an illness and passed away. 80 is a good amount of years, so I wondered when was the book of Ecclesiastes written? My Bible has information on each book at the beginning of each book. And it says that God used Solomon to write one more book, Ecclesiastes, near the end of his life. It seems a shame that he had lived a life of progress and development with a great gift of wisdom and opportunity and still felt that it was all meaningless. Even at an advanced age. When he stepped away and turned away from God, he lost his heart. I'm going to switch gears now. You may have heard of Oskar Schindler. He was a German industrialist credited with saving 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. He set up factories in Poland and the Czech Republic and worked with the Germans to acquire Jews as slave labor. Because this was advantageous to the Germans, the famous list was provided of names to work in the factories. The Jews who came to work for Schindler were safe from ex execution and eventually freed when the war in Europe ended. This was a great thing Oscar Schindler did he was not a man of good character at all, but he saw this evil and developed a plan to save people whose only issue was their heritage. It was marvelous what he did. And when it was all over, he said, I could have done more. A question was asked as an icebreaker at a staff meeting, and I'm going to ask for your opinion now. If you could go back in time and change something in your life or forward in time to see what happens in your life, which would you choose? I posed this question in a mini survey in preparation for today. And of course, I wouldn't expect anyone to say the details, but I wondered if I could get a show of hands of how many would want to go back and change something. And how many would want to go forward and see what happens? I found the persons that I asked who were younger wanted to go forward and see what would happen in their lives. And the over 50 group would choose to go back and change something. My conclusion is the younger ones that were asked have not lived long enough to have made regrettable decisions. And the older ones have some regrets and they would like a do-over. Reverend Billy Graham was asked at his 90th birthday 
Knowing what you know now, would you change anything? His answer, I would pray more and sleep less. Craig and I celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary on February 18th. We have lived a good life together and I'm very grateful for it. My grandma took me to Sabbath school and church every Sabbath and I was baptized when I was 15. My parents were believers and would tell you they were Seventh-day Adventists, but I, I, I hardly remember them ever going to church, just glimpses of when I was really small. And a couple of times after I met Craig, they went. But they were supportive, and they certainly wanted Grandma to take us to Sabbath School <laughs> Church. And they, they were very um, supportive of that. I have always identified as a Seventh-day Adventist. Outside the family, my own family and church members, I did not grow up knowing anyone who was a Seventh-day Adventist. I went to public school, so when I was old enough to date, I dated non-Adventists. When I was 25 years old, our pastor's wife invited me for Sabbath lunch at their home. She had a married daughter my age, and as we visited, Craig's name came up in the conversation. The pastor's son-in-law had gone to school with Craig, and they made a plan for us to meet. A blind date. Two weeks later, the Heritage Singers were performing in Glendale, and we all went to hear them. It was 1978. I had always wanted a husband who shared my faith. I invited my boyfriends to church, but none of them were really interested. Craig and I were a good match. We have a lot in common, and we married one year later. When I met and married Craig, I remember thinking I had waited, wasted a lot of time looking for Mr. Wrong. In the 60s and 70s, in my home church, it was the culture to hear messages from the pulpit about the end of probation. I lost my place. And some sermons were scary and threatening. So I was asking Craig about this, and in his church, that did not happen. I'm wondering, Linda, do you remember this kind of message? You weren't scared by it? <laughs> The Bible, the pounding. I just remember these uh, one particular pastor. The repent today, you know. And I was a teenager, so it was to me. Anybody else? No, not particularly. Well, Craig said it didn't happen at his church, so. Yeah. 
Yes. And that's just the way it was in my church for a period of time. It seemed to evolve and, and change some. Maybe for some, this approach would open their eyes, and so I understand that. But for me, it was the love of Jesus that made me want to serve him. He died for me when I did not know him yet. Romans 5, 5, and 8. A hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 15, and 16. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. This is what pulled my heart and still does today. See, I told you it was about 15 minutes. <laughs> I believe COVID should be a big wake-up call for everybody. If we have wasted our time, we can do better. I think there's been a persecution on the Christians, in the, at least in California, to not be able to gather I, it was a few months ago, I was scrolling on Facebook and there was some, it was an Adventist group singing. And I burst into tears. At the time, we had been in lockdown for about three months. And I told my husband, I miss singing. There's something special about the hymns, the prayers, the gathering being in a place that we call church. You raised your hand. Did you I want? Did. Yes. I wanted to make a comment. Okay, please. Regarding your message. When I was in high school, my Bible teacher, in fact, I might have been in grade school, he had every one of us students write in our Bibles, live every day as if it were your last day on earth, the day before Jesus comes. How would you live that life? Would it be meaningless? Or would it be filled with love for your fellow man and trying to do all that you can to help them find Christ so that we'd all be together in eternity? In other words, live your day so that it's not meaningless, but that it's full of meaning with Christ. John 16, 4, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. Jesus 
has warned us that there will be times of trouble. And as believers in the Adventist message, we understand that it could be coming very, very soon. We had a pastor once, he was African-American, and he had this deep, this baritone voice, and he would say, soon and very soon, and that great getting up morning, we will look into the clouds and see the Lord. And we will all see him, dead or alive, right? But how exciting that will be. Ellen White says, we are living in the closing scenes of Earth's history. Prophecy is rapidly fulfilling. We have no time to lose. Let us not be found sleeping. So what do we do now? Recommit ourselves to God with no regrets. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Colossians 2, uh, 3, 2 and 23 says, Set your mind on things above, not on early, earthly things. Whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you serve. It's our duty to find a good work to do. It may be in church work or in your profession or as a witness to your family and friends of the immense love of Jesus and his saving grace. And if we do that, it will never be meaningless. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that you have brought us together to worship today and you brought us to an understanding of you so that our life would have meaning we're grateful for these blessings we are indebted to you for the great gift of salvation we thank you lord for all you do for us we ask you to Stay with us closely as we face the next things and the next things and help us to understand the prophecies and the changes in our lives that are going to happen at your direction. Keep us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.